What a great time, isn't it? So don't forget, we're, we wanted to do something a little bit different. Some people were saying, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's next um, with the number of new people that we've had come in. And so we decided that we would start what we are calling uh, Next Steps. If you, you just want to know what's next, what all is the church involved in? What is Alabaster offering? What is Bundle Up? Cactus? What is the mission work that the church is involved in? What is the, the local uh, missions that we do? What, you know, what are all the things? What's the home group or Sunday school? There's a lot of questions, and so we hope to answer those in the next steps, and, and then um, starting point will continue to be, if you, after next steps, if you say, you know, I want to join the church, then uh, starting point will go through that, and uh, you can do that as well. But October 2nd, after church on that Sunday, we'll have a, a meeting, and that'll be a, a next step. Uh, time together. So, man, I hope everybody's doing good today. I'm going to try to uh, not take too much of your time, um, but I do want to, man, I'm excited about today because I have, in my years of ministry, I don't know either if you knew this, by the way, in this month, I it was the September 7th, I think, was my ministry anniversary. I have been, for 24 years, a pastor, a, a either a youth pastor or a senior pastor in the church. So 24 years, that happened earlier this month. And, um, well, thank you, thank you. I'm going to say this, I don't know if it's an embarrassment or if it's uh, just, look at this. My first time ever in all of those 24 years, I have never preached a series of messages over Ephesians. So here we go. I've studied Ephesians. I've preached out of Ephesians. I've taught out of Ephesians, but I've never done a series. And I have to say, as I've been digging into and studying Ephesians, I just feel like so many people do it, you know? But God has led me to this place at this time. We just spent several, 10 or 12 weeks, a long time, talking about spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, all of those things. Uh, last week, we went and did a covenant renewal service, which I thought was awesome and refreshing. I love that. Um, God was really leading me to this place because I just know that as believers in Jesus, we have lots of questions, you know? Lots of questions like, who are we? <laughs> Who are we? I mean, not like uh, in the universe, who am I, and asking those types of questions. I'm saying, who are we as Christians? I mean, why would we even follow God? What does it mean to follow God? Who is God that we would want to follow him? Why would we do it? And, and then once we make that decision to follow God, what's next? What's the next steps? What's the, what's the next thing? We decide we're going to follow God, pursue a relationship with him, lean into the grace that he bestows on us, and then what? What is our responsibility? And so that's what Ephesians addresses. That's what we're going to be going over the next few weeks. Paul does a really good job in this letter to the church in Ephesus. It's a book that we call uh, Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote. Uh, you might hear in the, when people talk about epistles, they, it's just a fancy word for letter. Paul wrote some, uh, some epistles there. But before I get into that, uh, the global part of the church, I want to talk about our church a little bit. Just want to cast a little bit of a, a vision about who our church is. And I have to tell you, I love our church. We had a, man, that's a, Good. Maybe that should have been the title of this series. <laughs> Note to self, uh, the next series. I love our church, but 
as I, as I think about this, we had a board meeting this last week and we were sitting around and, and the board is just such a good church board and uh, good leaders and um, I, I was just appreciative of all of them and we just have a good church. You've probably seen our church's purpose. Uh, we call it a why statement. We actually uh, went, when I first got here, I didn't know who the church was. They didn't know who I was and we sat down and we um, some the board and, and some leaders in the church and we told stories for a few hours and really narrowed down what the why of this church is. Why do we do what we do? And at that time, you, and you've seen it around, we decided that our why as a church is to love like Jesus so lives are changed. Um, it sounds pretty simple, but there's a lot there to unwrap. To love like Jesus so lives are changed. And as I've been reflecting on our church, who our church is, the, the DNA of our church, just the very idea of, of our church. It, I like that we say to love like Jesus so lives change. I, I really believe in love. I, I know love changed my life. Love has changed all of our lives. And, but it's, it's impacted me in a, like a different way, a very special way. And I hope it does yours also. The love of God, the love that we have for each other. But I want to be, and I wrote this down, I want to make sure I say it correctly. I want to be a church who's committed to an inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement. An inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement. I really should have wrote that down. I mean, up on the screen. As, as we're going, by the way, I want you to know the notes for today's message are in the, the church app. Uh, you can get there in the Bible app too, but... A church committed to an inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement. And, and I believe it's in this way we will fulfill the purpose that God gave us to love like Jesus so lives are changed. As we grow spiritually, we're enabled to have missional engagement as our focus. We grow deeper spiritually and then our focus becomes others, right? And I think, and, and I've been exposed to a, a, a new word recently to me anyway. Some of you may know it. That's the reason I were just talking about it a couple days ago called othering. <laughs> othering. It's uh, a word that has come out of the world of sociology that is working its way into theology. Othering. Doing things one to another. Othering people. But back to Ephesians. In his letter, Paul's trying to help the church come to grips with a similar idea. He's trying to help them understand that as they grow deeper in spiritual richness, they connect with the grace of God in such a way that helps them become missional in their engagement. So it, it talks about two things. It talks about who they are in Christ, what happens to them, and then turns and begins to speak about what their responsibilities are. Because a lot of times we either go one way or the other. But Paul gives them, this is 10,000 foot view, okay? This is the over, and we're going to go through this the next several weeks. But Paul gives them th this idea. He says that there's two things going on here. One is our relationship with God. The grace that we are living under. And, and we should... Remember that and be there and that's a good thing, but we can't be stuck there. And then there's also 
our responsibility as Christians. And some people get stuck there. They get stuck on, on their, their duty. Gotta be careful saying that word. One time I was talking about our duty as Christians and there was a five-year-old on the front and every time I said it, he laughed. <laughs> our duty. Now you're all gonna laugh every time I say it. Our responsibility as a Christian. Because there's both. We can't take only one or only the other. We gotta take both. So today we're gonna read a scripture. We're gonna start with Ephesians, obviously chapter one. Verses 1 through 14, and we're going to begin to dig through this. But if you guys will, um, I have it here. I'm going to be referring to this a lot. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be careful because we can't stop too often as we go through this and we could, I could probably spend a whole year in Ephesians now as I've really dug into it. Like I said, I should have done this a long time ago. Because just in those first two verses, Paul's saying so much. By the grace of God, he's an apostle. Anyway, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of grace that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made him known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be... Uh, to be put into good effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Just pay attention to that word, all things. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. To bring all things. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. There's a lot there, right? You might be thinking, this is too much, Cal. There's too much. 14 verses. Let's, let's talk about Ephesus a little bit first. The town of Ephesus. Ephesus was located on the western edge of Asia Minor. I have a, a map here so you can kind of see what's going on. Here's Ephesus. And then you have Athens and Corinth over here. And then you have Rome and Italy. So it gives you an idea about where it is. This is modern day Turkey. Where Ephesus is. Um, the city was near some major trade routes. It was right here as a, as a harbor on, uh, on the sea there. It was a major city of about 250,000 people. And Ephesus would have been uh, a rival to Athens and Corinth. So this was really a hot spot in the days of Jesus. 
um, right after Jesus in the days of Paul. Uh, this was like a lot of stuff was happening there. A lot of trade was going on. Major metropolitan area. And then this is interesting. This is just uh, so you can get a perspective here. The theater in Ephesus was massive. It could seat about 25,000 people. This, this is the theater still there today. 25,000 people about could sit there. To give you a point of reference, the American Airlines Center, if you've been there, is about a 20,000 person auditorium. So this is about 25,000, just a little bit bigger than the American Airlines arena here or center here in uh, the DFW area. Also, Ephesus was home to the third largest library in the known world at that time. Like they were a intelligent people. So they had an international port. They had a huge theater. They had a world-class library. They were a very distinct place. They, they prided themselves in that. Without a doubt, the most significant thing in all of Ephesus was the temple of the Greek goddess Artemis, which you may have heard about. And Paul talks about the goddess Artemis. Not much of the temple remains today. There's, there is one little piece, it's a column that's still there, but in the time of Paul, this would have been considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. One of the biggest parts of the ancient world. One of the, the things that people would have wanted to come and see. It was constructed of white marble and its columns were massive. I mean, they were intent on worshiping Artemis. So this would have been a religious destination as well as a trade center. Pilgrims would have made their way to this place at all different times. So... Paul visited Ephesus on his, what was his third and final missionary journey, and he stayed there for two years. This is really interesting. So during that time, he began to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ, and, and there was a, a, the church was young, and they would, would have had a few Jews, but mostly Gentiles in that realm. And as time went on, this young Christian community would have really grown in size, and, and People began to talk about who God was and about what Jesus had done in their lives and about the freedom that they experienced. It would have become a, really a hot topic. A, a revival was breaking out in Ephesus. And so there was one particular um, Ephesian, a guy who lived in Ephesus, who was a silversmith. That's how he made his living. And the revival became so significant that it began to affect him. Like he was losing business because people were quit. They, they, they were quitting worshiping the goddess Artemis. And they began to worship Jesus. And so he was not there having to make uh, any more idols for them. So as more and more people turned to Christianity, his business took a hit. So he stirred up a frenzy against the Christians. Started a riot against the Christians. And, and I want to say this is one thing that I think we can really take a clue from. I believe that we should do our civic duty and vote and be involved in Christian ethics and politics. I, I, I believe that. But I don't think that the way, the way, let me say this, the way that change happened here as an example was because so many people began to believe in Jesus Christ that it literally changed the culture. They didn't 
And, and maybe they did. We don't, I don't know the politics of the time, but, and maybe they did vote in new people and, and all that. But what changed the culture was people living out the life of Christ and how he had changed them. And it so changed the culture that it affected who knows what else. We know that it affected the business of this guy. And I think if we really want to affect culture, then it will come by us not only doing what we should do in regard to our civic duties, but living out the life of Christ so that people see a changed life and what that looks like. I really believe that that's the way we're going to be more effective. The most effective, I should say. So this guy stirred up a riot. Uh, two of Paul's traveling companions were carried away by the crowd and uh, eventually it died down. Nobody was hurt, but they decided, hey, Paul, maybe it's time for you to move on. <laughs> Which he did. So now he's writing letters back to them. All right, so Paul knew the Ephesians well. You can look that up in Acts chapter 20. He knows the Ephesians. Some scholars don't believe that Paul actually wrote. I don't know if you knew this. They, they don't believe he actually wrote the letter to the Ephesians because it's not very personal. But others believe that he did write the letter. It was just a general letter. It wasn't directed to any one particular church. It was to the churches. So he wouldn't have done that. The purpose of this letter is to teach proper theology and behavior. This is what we were talking about. Who we are in Christ and what our responsibilities are once we're in Christ. Uh, John Stott, he wrote this. The whole letter is thus a magnificent combination of Christian doctrine and Christian duty. Christian faith and Christian life. What God has done through Christ and what we must be and do in consequence. So this is the community that Paul's writing to. The verses we hear today are the very beginning of this letter. And here's the, the reason I wanted to read all 14 verses. We can't tell from our English translation, but in the Greek, that was one sentence. In Greek, it was one sentence. It was, and I didn't want to break that one sentence up. Paul was writing one sentence, but the reason he did that was to signify a single train of thought. It was one train of thought from beginning to end, laying out the entire theology simplified of Christ. One sentence. Your English teachers are cringing right now. <sighs> A run on. All right, so that's the intro to Ephesians. Pretty interesting, right? Um, we always, I've heard people, preachers, my preacher talked about Ephesians. I was trying to find things that maybe we didn't all know as we dig into that. All right, so first is this, is grace. One of the things we learned from this is that God had grace and salvation in mind from the very beginning. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world. He chose us. He laid out his plan of salvation before he had laid out the foundations of the world. He chose us. He intended that salvation would be there even before there was anything to save. God, his grace predates time. Is that exciting to you guys? His grace was there before there was time to put grace in. 
we were having this conversation. It's, you know, it's one of those interesting conversations you have with your 11-year-old about time. <laughs> because we were talking about, and we're going to get into that, into being predestined. And what does that mean? And, well, Dad, did, does God know if I'm going to break this pencil right now? And I was like, you better not break that pencil. Because <laughs> God knows what's going to happen if you do. <laughs> It was uh, an interesting conversation, but I was explaining to him that God exists outside of time. And there's a lot of things, a lot of questions that we don't know, but we know that God, his grace predates time the way we understand it. At least according to Ephesians and Paul. Pretty interesting. Grace and salvation was his plan all along. And grace isn't something that he doles out in a stingy fashion, just a little at a time. It's not in short supply. God's not worried at all about running out of grace. In fact, Paul says God lavishes grace out on us. He lavishes it on us. There's more than enough grace. There's more than enough forgiveness. You have not exceeded the amount of grace or forgiveness that God can give you. This is what is hard for somebody, especially any of us as sinners, but especially those who have lived a life that they know has been, they feel particularly egregious. God doesn't say, oh man, that's just too much. That's just too much, sorry. Like, on to the next one. That's not what he says. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven for anything. His grace is lavished on us. It occurs according to God's good pleasure. In other words, it's freely bestowed on us. He wants us to have it. He wants us to step into it. We just went through all the spiritual disciplines and, and formation. He wants to, us to connect with that grace that he's already bestowing on us in our lives. Now here's the tricky part for a lot of Christians. We'll get into the, our responsibilities part later. But we will happily step into the grace. But then we hold on to it and don't give it. God intends for us to be a conduit of his grace. Freely we receive it and freely we should give it. We should love people with the love that he loves us. Unfortunately, and this was happening in Ephesians and in Galatians and several other places, there are many other models of God floating around in the church. God is depicted as an angry judge. He's displeased with us. Our salvation is in trouble. We might lose it at any moment. The only thing we can do is appeal to Christ to save us from the wrath of God. In this model, Jesus came to die because God's wrath has to be appeased and satisfied. I don't know if that's something that you guys all know or grew up with, but in that model, Jesus takes the fall for us. He bears the brunt of our punishment. But that's not how Paul describes it. 
Paul sees the origins of grace and redemption as being in God. It's been there all along and, and now in the fullness of time this perfect and divine plan came alive in Christ. He wants you to step into that forgiveness. He wants you. He's not trying to be mad at you. He loves you and he's drawing you. He's wooing you to him. That's prevenient grace. It's grace before we even knew we needed grace. Wooing you. Drawing you to him. And it's huge. So huge that God intends to gather up all things in heaven and on earth and put them together in Christ. And that's that word all things that we were talking about. All things. Tapanta. Tapanta is the Greek word for all things. It's an interesting phrase. In fact, pay attention to that word. I would, I would say go do a Greek word study on that word in the New Testament. Because when these words show up, something big is about to happen. Because it's not some things, and it's not most things, and it's not a few things. It's all things. Think about that for a minute. All things. He's going to gather up all things. So what we find in our scripture today, this isn't an angry judge looking to strike people down. This is the action of a benevolent, loving God who wants to take all things and bring them together in Christ who satisfies the punishment. Now that's, that's the, the difference here. There is a punishment for sin and Christ satisfies that. God's wrath is on sin. That's true also. But he loves you. You don't have to be the subject of that. Just simply ask forgiveness. Step into the love, into the grace. God's plan is all things. God's plan all along was Jesus Christ. God sent his son to us because we were lost. We can't find our way home. But God is bringing all things together in Christ. Jesus has come to restore what was broken. We could go on and on about that. He has come to bridge God and humanity. He has come to restore you into what God made you. Jesus is the capital, the way. I just think it's awesome. He came to bring all things together. That's how Paul says it here. He came to bring all things in Christ. This is where it gets interesting. Because we talk about being predestined. Predestined. What does that mean to be predestined? In love, verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Now, we can read sons and daughters. It's not only for boys. 
He predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I want to make sure we understand what Paul's talking about when he says that we have been predestined. He uses the phrase twice. And I want to be careful that we don't misunderstand that some are predestined and some aren't. Some people believe that. I don't. That some, the, the, we who are here today were predestined by God to go to heaven. And those who aren't, sorry. Like that doesn't make any sense. Especially when it says whoever believes in him. Right? We all have a choice. He has chosen you. You have been predestined. You belong to him. Your destiny is God. That's, that's what he's saying. Your, this is your destiny. Your destiny. You have been predestined to belong to God. Of course, we can choose not to follow God. We can walk away from God. We don't lose God. But we can walk away. We can choose things other than God. That's not what he destined you for. He chose you. Anybody who's been around adoption understands this. To be chosen. My kids, they didn't choose me. <laughs> They're stuck with me. <laughs> right? But God chose us. Which is interesting because so many times we put ourselves in the driver's seat. We put ourselves as the one we choose God. But that's not true. We, we can choose to accept what he's done for us, but he chose us. He wants you. He's done all that he knows to do to get you. His grace is wooing you in this moment. He loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can hate him. You can curse him. You can say, don't love me, God. It won't change it because he's going to love you anyway. Because he chose you. He predestined you. Your destiny is him. But you might choose something different. And to the heartbreak of some, that happens. There's one other thing. There's a lot to go through here. I'm going to do one more thing. Paul says when you believed the gospel, this is in verse 13, you were marked in him with a seal. That seal is the promised Holy Spirit. So when you believe the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins is leading us into his kingdom. You believe that good news. You're moving in on that good news. You, you believe it. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's a seal. Now that's another very interesting word. It's a word that's still being used today. Did you know that? In the Greek. They, they still use the word for seal here. Other versions translated as guarantee or deposit or earnest or down payment. Today that word is used in connotation with an engagement ring. The ring given to the beloved is a pledge. It says, I love you. 
this ring is a sign of my intentions. <laughs> Isn't that a cool way to look at it? I want to spend the rest of my life with you. We have been marked with the seal, an engagement ring, the symbolism of an engagement ring by the Holy Spirit. And he says, you are mine. I want to spend the rest of my days with you. God help us for the times that we are not faithful to him. If you want to read about unfaithfulness, read some of the prophets in the Old Testament about the Jews when they were unfaithful to God. Because what he wants is for us to have, to be sealed by his spirit, a promise of a future together. Just like when you're married. <laughs> it's just awesome. Like you can't make this stuff up, right? This is crazy. Well, we're going to wrap up now. I'm going to invite the band up. We're, I know we're going to have a song here in a moment. It's important with, that we understand that our God is a God who chose us. Right? Remember that. We didn't choose him. It's not like we can say to God, oh, aren't you so lucky, God? <laughs> I'm going to give you me. <laughs> you're just, oh, you're, you're lucky. No. We're lucky. We're blessed. Even more, we're predestined. Our destiny is God. He chose us. People have been struggling with the idea of grace and God as an angry and vengeful God for a long time. Don't get me wrong. God is holy. We must honor him. We shouldn't take him lightly. He's a magnificent, omnipotent, you make the descriptor, being. God is amazing and holy. And sin cannot exist in the presence of his holiness, which is why we have the blood of Jesus to purify us so that we can be with him, so that his wrath on that sin is satisfied. All those things, yes, those are true. But he also desires to bring unto unity all things, which includes us. It also includes our environment. It includes this world. We're getting into the kingdom of God again. A place where everything has been restored, including the grass and the trees and the weather and the... Let's embrace the grace that God has given us and lean into our identity. As a church committed to an inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement really like that. An inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement. That's what God's calling us to. And I believe you have to have both. You can't have either or. So we're going to spend some weeks talking about what that looks like for us. What does it mean to seek spiritual uh, the spiritual journey to, to lean into that 
And we're also going to look at what are our responsibilities because we have some. We have responsibilities as followers of Christ. Things that He expects from us. So if you guys would stand with me, we're going to close with a prayer. God, today I'm grateful to you for your grace. I'm thankful that you have predestined us. You have chosen us to belong to you. Forgive us for the times that we do not act like we belong to you. Forgive us for the times that we've been unfaithful to you after you have sealed our hearts with the Holy Spirit. This morning as we close, I just ask all across the room, just ask God to help you with those things that you've been, in areas maybe that you've been unfaithful. We love you, God. We want to receive your grace, connect with it, step into it. Move in our hearts and in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name.